so uh, I'll be uh, speaking out of the book of Job. Uh, as, uh, as we read the book of Job, we see that Job had many problems, more than any of us. For many years, I thought Job's crisis, pain, suffering was unique to a person. Then I got married. And both my wife and I found out there is a little suffering in marriage at the beginning, but it could be worked out. But then I began to see pictures on TV of fathers and mothers losing their whole families because of famine and wars in Africa and Asia and the Middle East. And at the end, you see these fathers and mothers' bodies covered with sores, flies, waiting to die, just like others have, and just like Job. Then I realized that Job's crisis, it's only rare to us living in America, but not to them living in other parts of the world, since to them, it is a daily occurrence, something they see and experience every day. Uh, many right now are like Job. And I sense that when one is going through a crisis like Job, whether it's a mother or a father in Africa, the one thing that you do need is a friend, an adequate, an adequate conversation partner that will uh, bring you comfort in your time of pain. You need a conversation partner in a bad situation. Well, that, that was Joe's main problem. He could not find an adequate conversation partner. Many can't even find an adequate conversation partner with their spouse. Job had friends like many of us do, but he could not find an adequate conversation partner in his friends like sometimes we can when we're going through a crisis. Instead of being a friend, they're like enemies. In this story, Job finds his friends too exact to details, too cautious, too boring, and too unconvincing. Unlike my wife who knows how to bring comfort, Instead of giving him comfort, they brought more pain and confusion in his life with their strict doctrine and measuring stick. Instead of comfort, they're condemning. Because of their way of thinking, Job mocks them for their lack of per persuasiveness in Job 26, 2 and 3. And let me read that. Then Job said, how have you helped one who has no power? How have you assisted the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom and given much good advice? Here Job dismisses his friends with sarcasm and scorn. He makes fun of their advice. The problem was that Job's friend had a fortune cookie theology, like many of us do. By this, I mean that when someone is going through a crisis, we wonder just a little bit what is causing this crisis in the person's life. We start wondering, maybe they sin. Maybe they're not praying enough. Maybe they're not reading their Bible. That's why they're going through all this bad trouble. Instead of thinking about words of comfort, we begin to use scripture as a fortune cookie to find out the cause of the crisis. We start looking for causes instead of comfort. We start, uh, it's like cause and effect. There's gotta be a cause for that effect, for them going to that bad situation. Well, Joe's friend 
Job's uh, friend, fortune cookie theology, has not shaken Job's uh, sense of justice, nor his own conviction of his own innocence. Job is not going for the fortune cookie okie dokie. Job senses that the argument of his friends are for the purpose to undermine his self-confidence, to shatter his self-esteem, and to make him feel bad. And that's no comfort at all. But we all have friends like that, even a spouse. But we see that Job is tough, and he ain't going for their fortune cookie theology. After Job scorns him and rebukes him, his friends do not speak again. Their fortune cookie theology crumbles. We, like Job, we may now forget about his friends, since a small-minded morality has no place in this story. And I know you have friends and a spouse like Job. We all do. We have to understand also that Job is not relying or trusting on, an, on his own righteousness, since in 1.8 the Lord says that Job is a perfect and upright man that avoids evil. In 1.8 it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Job is, however, a man of virtue and integrity, willing to be judged by any available standard. Job is willing for anyone to look at his private life and his public, and his public life and his marriage. We have seen that Job has been judged to be perfect and upright from the beginning of verse 1. And in chapter 27, the story still speaks of Job, of being a good man. Like Trump would say, Job is a good man. Here in chapter 27, 2 and 4, Job knows his integrity, so he vows an oath of defiance and self-confidence by saying, as God lives, as long as I have breath, I will not speak falsehood. What Job is saying is that he will not falsely present himself. He will not say that he is unrighteous when he is not. He will not commit perjury against himself. He will not lie against himself. He will not pretend guilt where there is none. In other words, Job will not submit false data against the known data of his own life. He will not condemn himself unjustly. Many times we do the opposite of what Job did. We gather false data and submit it against ourselves and condemn ourselves wrongly. And when we do that, we have no victory in our lives. And God wants us to have victory. But we see Job saying that he will not be talked out of what he knows. He will not engage or submit on false grounds in order to accommodate religious consent. Sometimes we agree with our detractors and fall into this fortune cookie theology. We have to understand that if Job was not so good, he would be arrogant. But he is good. And he is also theologically good, discerning, and responsible. He knows what serious theology is, what the serious theology is all about, like some of us don't. We get a degree, and we think we have arrived. 
I have a degree, but I know I haven't arrived. Job knows that life isn't always fair and that there is a cost. That's why Job says in 121, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Job embodies wholeness, integrity, and completeness. Job is a righteous man. Job knows how to will one thing, and that one thing that Job has willed is to live a responsible, caring, compassionate, and generous life. Read the book of Job, and you will see that. Not many of us could ever live the life that Job lived. He was consistent in everything he did, even his tithing. Job is a model that we as Christians need to think about and attain to. Job is a model that we should live. The story speaks to us that we can at least imagine us as Christians who have it right with God and with our neighbor, as Job did. We, like Job, are created for a caring and a responsible life of integrity. And be able to boast a little bit like Job did and Paul did. That's why Jesus dared to say to his disciples, be perfect as your father is perfect. What Jesus is saying is, be perfect, be blameless, have integrity with one thing. You, you could do it and you should do it like Job did it. But this is not the end of the story. There is more to it than that. Job's integrity and uprightness is not the end of the story. If it was, the story would have stopped with Job's righteousness and faith in chapter 2. Job's righteousness and faith is only the beginning, just like it should be with us. There is more to Christianity than trying to be righteous, than trying to be perfect. It is only right to have integrity and faith. In fact, it's our duty to have that, in public and in private. But a life of integrity, of getting it right and living it well, in the end, is not enough. It's not enough because trouble and hurt, as Jesus said, will come. We may lose our cows, we may lose our goats, like Job did, our dog and family, as Job did, your spouse, God will keep in order to test you a little bit more. Our integrity is not enough because friends will misunderstand us and try to correct us as they did with Job. But mainly integrity and righteousness is not enough because we are created and destined for a deeper and more demanding, demanding restlessness like God will show Job. It is that other restlessness beyond our righteousness that can only satisfy us and put us in a crisis like it did Job. It is a restlessness for God that can only satisfy us. And that restlessness that is beyond our righteousness is a yearning, a desire for a conversation, a communion that outruns our integrity and our righteousness. This yearning for fellowship outruns our goodness. God always, always, God always outruns our best efforts. Because goodness is not enough. Since in the end, it is uninteresting and it is unsatisfying. That monk Martin Luther found that out five centuries ago. And the Apostle Paul 
found that out 2,000 years ago. Righteousness is not enough to satisfy life. The story of Job is an attempt to find another conversation partner other than our conversation with our friends or even our spouse. Job is like Adam. Adam seeks a partner among all the animals and finally settles on that fine woman, just like I did and you would too. I have a conversation partner with my wife, but that's not enough. Job also, Job also, Job also, I've been seeing Trump every day. I don't know if you heard the other say he was quoting at Corinthians. He said uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.17 it says, instead of saying second, he said two. Uh, Job, also, Job also seeks a conversation partner who will address him at the point of his anguish and pain. He needs to talk to somebody. His friends are not talking right. His friends fail him at this point, like our friends and even our spouse will fail us. I failed my wife when it comes to conversation. Job, however, must uh, find a partner who is not oversimple, boring, and unconvincing like my wife. Job's desire is to find a partner that is willing to understand him like my wife. One that is elusive, elusive enough to be interesting, like my wife. One that is hidden enough to attract, like my wife. Severe enough to hold back and awesome enough to counter, like my wife. Sounds like the perfect woman or the total woman, like my wife. But, but sad to say, Sad to say, no woman is this perfect. And also, no man is this perfect. Only God is perfect. And my wife. <laughs> so Job must find this perfect partner. Because if he doesn't, he will be left only with his integrity and his righteousness. And Job is finding out that that is not enough. Job's integrity is real, and it is important, but it is inadequate to satisfy life. But the problem or the trial that Job is facing is that he cannot summon nor produce this other voice that will give him meaning to his life. Job must wait for God's voice to come 37 long chapters later. He's got to wait 30 long chapters later. Job, like all of us, must wait, and the waiting makes Job and us only more restless. But we must wait. But then after a long wait, after 30 long chapters, comes a voice unexpected and unexplained. God always speaks just when we don't expect him. In chapter 38, 1 through 4, this voice answers Job out of the whirlwind. Instead of, uh, instead of, uh, instead of uh, answering Job's questions, God starts talking about creation, about goats, about lions, about crocodiles, 
Job, Job has a, the wrong conversation. <laughs> Let me read three. I should have never mentioned Trump. <laughs> Let me read three. And Job, <laughs> I'm not doing that on purpose either. <laughs> okay, and Job uh, 38, 1 to 4, then the, then the Lord answered uh, Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Uh, Job is addressed by the God who is there, by God who is simply there, there before Job, there after Job, but there for Job. God is also there even when we don't sense him. This is one thing Job failed to understand, that he was there with him, even though he thought he wasn't, because he was going through so much suffering. God is there for Job, but God refuses to engage Job on his terms. God addresses us on his, on his own terms, not our terms. Here, Job is drawn into another conversation that he has not anticipated and that he could not manage or control. Many times God has to step in because we don't know how to talk to him. We don't know what to say. In this other conversation that Job will enter, Job's integrity and righteousness is left behind because it doesn't fit and it can't stand in the midst of this other voice. Since our, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. With his friends, Job knew how to talk, what to talk about, and how the conversation would go. He's like a friend of mine that knows that I know, that has the initial CP. I won't mention his name, though. But in the conversation with this other voice, Job can't see the beginning, and he sure can't see the end. Hearing the voice of God will leave us speechless. The language of integrity, of virtue, of moral responsibility, and ethics is excluded in this other conversation. To God, this is small talk. This is baby talk. The only thing that is important in this other conversation and the only thing that could stand is God's voice. Not Job's righteousness or not our righteousness. This other voice will speak in our, in our categories of integrity, of righteousness, of moral responsibility. He doesn't speak in that voice. In God's presence, our categories of righteousness cannot stand. To this other voice, this is small talk. This is human talk. This is flesh talk, not God talk. God talk will take us to another level, to the mountaintop, like we've been doing these last few weeks. And he's even going to take us further. This other voice that comes out of the whirlwind is the language of power. It is the language of awe, the language of mystery and amazement, of astonishment. It is a language of glory and praise coming out of the very lips of God. Our praise is inadequate, so God has to praise himself. In a language 
that we're, that we're unfamiliar with, since it is a language that is raw, unhindered, and dangerous. Some of us has yet to hear God speak. But we need to continue, because you've got 37 more chapters to go in your life. And the reason it is so frightening is because it comes from the very lips of God, not from our friends. All we know how to talk about is do's and don'ts, like Job's friends. Job found himself in a conversation that he had not imagined or wanted. He thought he wanted a conversation with God till God started talking to them. He was left speechless. Job had known all about giving glory to God. Job knew how to praise like many of us know how to do it. Unlike Pastor Toby, many of us are still closet Christians. We open the closet a little, the closet door, stick out our hand a little bit, move our head a little bit, say a little praise, and go back in our closet again. Unlike Pastor Tony, when on Halloween, I seen him wearing a tutu. I said, I said, this, bro this brother really came out of the closet. For a minute, for a minute, I thought he was going to do a little ballet. But I know, I know one day we will see Pastor Tony dancing and jumping out here, but without his tutu. Job knew that slogan, just do it before Nike invented it. Job knew how to do praise, but Job had forgotten all about liberated praise and thanksgiving. The praise that liberates, that liberates when, we're, when, when we're pressed too hard and too close and thought he had to defend himself. When trouble comes in our life, sickness, bad marriage, we become like Job. We start pouting instead of praising. This story of Job is put together to tell us that Job's integrity and righteousness is important as it is. It's only secondary. Anything we do is secondary or anything we go through. Our righteousness, our integrity is important, but it is only secondary. Our righteous living is only secondary. It's only the beginning. And the reason it is secondary is because, as Job found out, our integrity and moral righteousness is only a temporary condition in front of liberated praise and thanksgiving. When one is able to hear and stand in front of this other voice, all our integrity and righteousness just fades into the background. And the only thing left standing is God's glory, God's praise in himself, not ours. Job now stands before the one who asks sovereign questions, questions beyond our understanding and righteousness. Job stands before the one who calls Job into account by asking him in, in 38.4, where were you? when I laid the foundations of the world. God does not talk about Job's righteousness. 
And by asking Job these sovereign questions, God blows Job right off the map by daring to show how limited and contained Job's field of vision is. Job can't see beyond his crisis and integrity like us. The voice that Job hears is different than what Job understands. Sometimes we think our vision is God's vision because this other voice that Job hears desires praise and thanksgiving, not virtue. God desires yielding and not bargaining. He desires risk, not our limited understanding and answers. That's why we have to trust in God in every situation. Whatever crisis we're going through, we have to know that God is present like he was present with Job. And this other voice puts Job's integrity in a context outside of God's presence. Everything we do is left behind in God's presence. Our integrity, <clears throat> our tainted love can't stand in God's presence. Only God is holy and righteous, like my wife. We also see that God never questions Job's integrity. God expects integrity in our lives, and we need to hang on to it like Job does. Integrity is important, but there is more. But what God wants from us is to learn a second language, a language that puts God in the picture while leaving us out. That's why God says to Job, where were you? Well, Job wasn't there, and you and I weren't there either. Like Job, we are also left out of God's presence, out of the picture. God wants us to learn a second language. God wants us to learn to speak, praise, and learn to yield to him, no matter what we're going through. And when we do this, we will take, take less pride, we will cherish less our virtue and integrity in the presence of God. That's why praising God is more important than our righteousness in a bad situation. Job said, I will hold on to my integrity until I die. Well, God's answer to Job is, hold on too tight and you will soon die miserably. Because God knows that all such virtue and integrity becomes a smokescreen against the awesome reality of God. We can hide behind our righteousness. If God would not have answered Job, Job at the end would have died in his integrity, bored, self-satisfied, and utterly unsatisfied with an unresolved restlessness. What a poor way to die. The apostle Paul read the book of Job. That's why he was always restless for God. That's, that's what our integrity results in when we fail to learn the second language of praise and thanksgiving in the presence of the awesome reality of God. God had to teach Job that it was not about his righteousness, but about praising his God. The battle that we face in our lives is for a speech and a faith that will sustain us in time of trouble, in time of pain, when we feel God is not there. You have, we have to realize that God is there, no matter what we're going through. If you're a Christian, God is there. 
And even more, his, more Job, Job and even more his friends are models of a moral certitude. In other words, everything they believe is centered and based on morality, how one behaves. Many times we emphasize good behavior over praising God like Job did. But we have to understand, as the book of Job teaches us, that this moral certainty does not matter at the end. Since we are, so, since we are not saved by virtue or morality, no one could stand in the face of the whirlwind on a soapbox of morality. That soapbox will crumble. So in the presence of this uh, other voice, our morality fades and vanishes. In the church, as well as in society, virtue has many faces. Righteousness had many ideas and beliefs and they all kill one way or another and in most cases it's the wife that takes the abuse some Christians emphasize the quality of being sexually pure that's their little kingdom of God others while others emphasize prayer in the public schools and the immorality of homosexuality that's their little kingdom of God while those Christians on the left put their effort on being correct on abortion and correcting the welfare system, everyone emphasizes their values. That's their little kingdom of God. And whichever party a Christian belongs to, they hold on to their precious beliefs, confidence that the other is wrong and without credibility. We all think we are right like Job's friends. But Job learned what we learn sooner or later, and that is that our virtue, our righteousness is not sufficient in the presence of the Lord because being right is no substitute for being amazed by the awesomeness of God. In the presence of, our, in the presence of God, our righteousness just fades to the background. Having control of one's life is no substitute for yielding in awe and wonder and amazement. God is more awesome than our righteousness and our pain. Once we touch the presence of God, submission, wonder, amazement, and delight is, will guide us, will guide our life, not our righteousness. Once we find the second language of praise and awe and thanksgiving, this will affect the way we live our lives, our daily lives with our spouse, our children, and others that we are uh, contact with. Thanksgiving and praising God will guide our lives. That's what guides my life. I try to praise God every, all, most of the day. While I'm walking my dog, I'm praising the Lord. And that's what we do. And if we do that, I guarantee you will sense the presence of God. Because that's the conversation that God wants to hear, praising him. It will also give us a correct understanding of God as we yield when he speaks to us from the whirlwind. The whirlwind speaks of God's awesomeness. Our shift to praise and thanksgiving as a way of life is important because yielding and praise breaks the idols we hold on to. It breaks our narrow way of thinking while we think we are always right. It breaks our idols of righteousness. And every idol we raise up, such as arrogance and pride. 
We live in a society where many highly regard virtue and are convinced that there are moral people. But as Job found out that these idols of self-congratulation block healing, make us falsely at ease, prevents transformation, and reduce our life to a set of slogans and technologies. We all have our little slogans. We become technological robots, living our life by the techniques we have learned to master, not realizing that they master us. Instead of allowing God's wonder and amazement to uh, control our lives, Microsoft, Apple, becomes a lens or wisdom that guides our life. Technology now controls us. But the good news in this story of Job is that there is a second conversation that surprises us. And it's not Twitter, Facebook that some of us are hooked on. There is a second conversation that we can never anticipate, and it begins by reading the Bible, hearing God speak, praying, fasting, that we may come into God's presence. After trying to behave righteously, after trying to control our lives by a set of rules, we are invited, as Job was invited, to yield to a life of praise and thanksgiving. No matter what the circumstances are, uh, Job can't say it at the end in 42.4. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. This shift, this second conversation that God brings us into will destabilize our life. It would put us at risk by destroying the control we have in our lives. When we lose control of our lives, that's when God steps in. For some of us, if, we, if, com if computers and cell phones would vanish, our life would fall apart. This other voice will also ease our need to dominate ourselves as well as others. It will cause us to yield without pouting it will cause us to submit without resentment and to receive God's gift that will create in us a restlessness to commune and to praise this wonderful God. And this restlessness should never stop in our lives. We should always seek this restlessness because that's the only thing that's going to keep us and that's the only thing that's going to bring us into the presence of God. But after yielding to this wonderful God, after being consumed by this awesome God, we, like Job, still have to go back to our daily lives and live as virtuously and righteously as possible. We have to go back to our daily work, our daily school, and our daily chores and behave as God wants us to behave. We still have to live righteously by loving our spouse. But we know and sense that we have been intruded upon. We have been overwhelmed and reduced to silence by this other voice that Job read, heard. Something more beautiful has happened in our lives. We can't say, as Job said in verse uh, 42.5. I have heard you by the hearing of, ear, of the ear, but now my eyes see you. 
See, he had heard about God. He went to church, it says there, his kids, prayed for his kids. He did everything right. He was doing everything right. But now he says, I have heard you. I did everything. I was going to church. I was reading the Bible. I was going to Vethi. I was doing this, everything right. But now all that doesn't matter because now I see you face to face. And that's our goal, to see God face to face and have an experience with him that will last for the rest of our lives. And only when we have experienced and taken this other voice seriously by submitting to a life of praise and thanksgiving, no matter the circumstances, God will approve our righteous behavior as he did Job in 42, 7, 8. He says about Job, after the Lord has spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to uh, Eliphaz and uh, Terminite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends. We and Job are like the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17, 22, where Jesus says, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a young ruler came up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. We and Job are like that rich young ruler. Here we read that the commandments still matter. The commandments are what we must do to inherit life. Jesus told the young ruler that. But beneath the commandments... Jesus shocks the young ruler by telling him, sell what you have, yield, submit, and follow. There is more than just going to heaven. Some people come to Christianity and say, well, I'm going to heaven. They think that's what Christianity is all about. It's more to it than inheriting eternal life. That's the only part of it. Here, the commandments are not rejected. His righteousness is not rejected. But Jesus wants a young ruler to move beyond the commandments to a more intense, more joyful obedience. To move beyond his righteousness. Jesus wants a young ruler to go beyond the commandments, to go beyond his integrity like he wants Job to do. We could get stuck on right living. And once the young ruler goes beyond his integrity by yielding, submitting, and following, the commandments become less severe, easier to embrace, but less important. Because there is more to embrace besides commandments, besides integrity. The issue, the issue is to move beyond self and our precious integrity to a restlessness that is seeking, yielding, and submitting to Jesus to a life of praise, and to a life of thanksgiving. Job thought that his virtue, his integrity, was enough to keep his life together in the absence of God. But Job found out that right living was not enough to keep 
our life together in time of trouble. But as the story tells us, God is present, but God is not bothered by the way Job thinks. Because God knows that he is capable of creating awe by asking Job three simple words. Where were you? Uh, the choir could come up at this time. And these three words will free us from the little traps of righteousness and integrity that we mistake for the kingdom of God. It's not about our righteousness, but God, glory, and praising the Lord. We, like Job, are also asked the question, where were you? And we, and we, we may answer like Adam, hiding Oh, hiding in our fear, fearful disobedience. We are hiding because we have disobeyed. Or we could answer like Job, hiding our fearful obedience. But both missed the mark. God is always coming and asking us, where were you? Hoping that our life will become a life of praise, one of yielding, being free, being amazed by a different way of life. A life that praises God, that thanks God, even in bad times. Because bad times are going to come. Things in your marriage are going to come. Things in your work are going to come. But God, we have to understand that God is with us. His presence is there. And the best way in a bad situation is to praise the name of Jesus. To give him praise and to give him thanks. With our new speech of praise and thanksgiving, we can live in delight and pleasure, not focusing on our righteousness, but praising Jesus. Such new speech makes obedience more exciting, more daring, and more dangerous. More dangerous than being out there in the world stealing, robbing, or whatever we're doing. Christianity could be exciting as we step into this new conversation of praise and thanksgiving. And let me boast a little bit. Let me brag a little bit by saying that my wife and I know Pastor Chela live in exciting Christianity because they had found that new conversation of praise and thanksgiving. They live praise. They talk thanksgiving wherever they go. I know my wife does, and I'm confident that Pastor Chela does too. I'll, even though I'm not with her, during the day, but I know that she does that by the way she comes to church and praises God and praise. They have found that new praise through fasting, praying, and praise. Maybe there's uh, some of you here that have not experienced this uh, liberated praise. In this, message, in this message, there really isn't no altar call because there, this is not a message of repentance. It's a message to come into this liberated praise. It's a message to come into this liberated praise. Let go of your pride and let God free you into a new conversation of liberated praise and thanksgiving. But uh, I'll let uh, Pastor, uh, our pastor.